So this is a new series that I started last week called Push. And this is the second message. This is actually one that I added because um, as I was praying and I spent a bit of time in prayer trying to um, work out what God wants to say and, and to talk about things in season and what's applicable to you, this is what came to mind. Now, in my life, I have seen lots of things, some positive and some negatives. But there was a large portion of my life where I was, I'm going to use the words worldly, and I did what exactly what I wanted to do, and I ran, well, in my attempt to run from God. And in those things that I did during that period of time is I exposed myself to things, I opened the door to certain things in my lives, and I saw things that I cannot remove. And because in that season in my life, and I'm not praising the fact that uh, uh, by God's grace that I was able to return, because of that season of my life, I have lots of things that I need to let go. I have lots of things in my life that actually need to go. I've experienced things that I should not have. Now, I am so blessed that I married such a godly woman and my wife, Mel. And uh, she, is, she is an awesome woman of God because she never walked from God. She never experienced the world. And in a lot of areas of her life, she's ignorant, which is a good thing. Because there are things that happen within the world that you don't need to experience and it's important that we understand the different seasons in our lives we understand what is taking place where we're at and where what God is doing in our life it helps prepare us and it helps us respond in the right manner now Solomon the wisest stupid man that I that's what I call him the wisest stupid man wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And he says in that book, he says, there is a season for everything. A season for everything. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. There is a season for everything. Sometimes we have to go through different seasons in order to get through the next one. But discerning the times we're in helps us adapt and overcome what is before us. A season that God will use in your life, and perhaps you didn't know it was this season, but it's a season that comes about in each and every one of us. It's called the wilderness. Not the wilderness girls, but the wilderness. Some people nickname it the wilderness experience, but it is a time of dryness, a time where things are effort. When you first come to know Jesus, everything is easy. You pray, answers come. You open the book, it's so divine. You ask for God, you get it. You worship, oh, it just feels so good. You get the goosebumps. But sometimes after that, you will go through a wilderness experience. And in the Christian walk, there are many times that you will go through the wilderness experience. I myself have been going through one right now. I myself have gone through many. But it's a time that God uses of dryness that helps us 
push into him. God will use three pathways to fulfill the destiny that he has put in you. Before we get even to number one, you have to first believe that there is a destiny on your life. You can call it whatever you want. Purpose, destiny, a calling, a future, a dream. But there is destiny that is put inside of you. And there are three-step process to actually see him about. And the first one is called promise. God will show you glimpses of your potential. Pictures, dreams, ideas, visions. You can call them whatever you want. You can get, oh, I'd really like to do that. But he gives us these glimpses of what is in the future to encourage us to keep going, to inspire you. Now, we actually need to receive them and not put them on the shelf thinking, that will never happen. But we also need to do something, and it's called seek God. And if you've never received a glimpse, or you've never had a glimpse of your future, or something that God can do with you or through you, then I encourage you to do this. You need to seek God. You need to ask God for the visions. You need to ask God for the glimpses of your future. And if you haven't received them, perhaps it's because you haven't sought God. Or you have dismissed them as saying, I will never obtain them. Hebrews chapter 11, 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. God is a rewarder of those who seek him. Not seek him for the reward, but seek him because he is God. It's like playing a game of hide and go seek. The winner, or the person who wins, is the person who seeks out everybody and finds everybody. Number two in this pathway is called process. No one likes that word called process. Or another way to put it is wilderness. When I successfully navigate the wilderness that God has placed me in, God brings the third one called promotion. The wilderness prepares my heart to handle God's power. The wilderness prepares my heart to handle God's power through me, to handle the promotion that God has for me. In Matthew chapter 4, we find Jesus enters the wilderness. That's right, Jesus went through the wilderness. In chapter 3, at the very end of it, Jesus is baptized in water. The Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, not a dove, like a dove, meaning gentle. And Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. But in chapter 4, Jesus is led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by the devil. If you think at any point in time that God will not lead you to a place that's going to be difficult, you have not read Matthew chapter 4. But when God leads you to a place, it's not there to hurt you. It's there for process or purpose. 
Jesus enters the wilderness filled with the Spirit, but leaves in the power of the Spirit. In Luke chapter 4, so this is the same story, but just different version. In verse 14, it says, And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. It's important to also understand that in the wilderness experience that Jesus had in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, the devil tempted Jesus. Three times. The devil tempted Jesus in the very things that Jesus had a greater possession of. The devil will tempt you in the things that are less than what Jesus has already given you. He tempts you in the doors that you have opened. And we need to learn how to shut the doors. The devil tempted Jesus with food, with authority, and with position. But the devil can never give Jesus more than he already has. Get that one. The devil cannot tempt you with anything more than you already possess. And oftentimes what it is, is we don't understand what we already possess that we are able to slip into temptation. We are tempted in the very areas that God has given you greater things for you to do. And often we fall for the less. But you can never shorten your wilderness experience, but you can lengthen it. God allows the wilderness experience to take place in order to remove the very things that need or stop us from fulfilling the promise or the promotion. When the Israelites were brought out of Egypt, they went into the wilderness. They had already been given the promise. They had already been promised the promised land. They'd already been given the promotion 400 years earlier when it was given through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it was repeated to Moses to bring it back to the Israelites to remember them. But what God did, or what God wanted to do, was his job was to bring them into a place of wilderness, to a place where they had to rely on God so God could remove the Egypt that was already in them before they walked into the promised land. You cannot walk in the new containing the old. 400 years, 400 years Egypt had been in the Israelites. Or the Israelites had been in Egypt, whichever one you want to look at. Egypt is always a representation of the world. 400 years the world was in the Israelites. And a journey that the Israelites were supposed to take, going through the wilderness, was only supposed to be a year long. But it ended up being 40 years. Not because God is unfair, not because of he's just a mean God, but it's because of their attitude, their choices, 
their unbelief. They contained the old, the Egypt, and they weren't going to release it. The trials that the Israelites went through in the wilderness was God's way of removing the Egypt from them. They relied on the Egyptians. God brought them into a place where they needed to rely on him. If you read the stories, you get the constant concept coming back. Every time they're hungry, oh, but we had pots of stew. But God brought you to a place to rely on him, where he brought the manna, the fresh bread. He brought the quails every day. He brought the water that came from the rocks. They came to a waters of Mara, and God said, put a stick in. But if you read the verses beforehand, they complained. They're whinging and complaining. Oh, it's so much better in Egypt. We had food, we had water. Yeah, but you were whipped. You were slaves. You built the cities of Egypt and you had no say. You were slaves. A journey that was only supposed to take a year took 40 years. And out of all the Israelites that came out of Egypt, only two walked into the promised land. The rest of them were wiped out because of their unbelief. They contained too much of the old, too much of the world. Faith is a very important tool in the life of the believer. And if you want to know how much more you need, or how much you need, you need more. God wants you to draw closer to him. He'll give you opportunities where you have to rely on him, where you have to turn towards him, where you need him. And the wilderness prepares our heart to handle the power. The Israelites didn't understand the purpose of the wilderness. They rebelled. And they misbehaved. In fact, they behaved incorrectly. God is not abandoning you. God is not punishing you. And if we don't understand, if we don't mature, if we don't deal with what is inside of us, our world or the Egypt, I will remain in the wilderness until such time as I have learnt what I need to learn. God doesn't put us on a shelf. He doesn't say, eh, not yet. So don't waste the seasons you're in. Go and redeem the time. In fact, in Ephesians 5.16, it says, Make the most of your time because the days are evil. Meaning time is ticking. Don't waste it. Paul wrote references from the Old Testament over and over and over and over again so we could learn from them, not repeat them. But there were five sins that kept the Israelites out of the Promised Land. Five. And they're found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. They were lust, idolatry, fornication, tempting Christ, and the last one is a cracker. Because it's almost like, you know, the, I don't know, I don't know if it's Sesame Street or Play School, where they go, one of these things does not fit the others. Can you guess which one it is? Right? Because this one doesn't fit. Because you've got to remember that as, as humans, we like to categorize sins. Right? We have this category. Well, that's really bad. That's not as bad. Nah. And we could probably put a lust, idolatry, fornication, tempting crisis in those top section, right? 
But then you come to the fifth one, and the fifth one does, just doesn't fit, and it's murmuring. Another way to put it is complaining or gossiping, whatever you want to put. depends on your translation. But complaining seems a little bit odd. Why was complaining such a sin that kept the Israelites out of their promised land? Remember, out of all the Israelites that left, and there was like 600,000 men, not including women or children, there's over a million people that leave Egypt, but only two walk into the promised land. Because God had to wipe out that whole generation. And it was the next generation that actually walked in. And one of them is complaining. And I know we're all guilty of complaining, right? But when we don't behave correctly in the wilderness, it's lengthened. It shows we need more time. When we don't have the faith in God, when we don't trust Him, when we have too much unbelief and doubt, we stay in the wilderness experience. It's not that the promise of God is removed, it is delayed. And the answer that God has is, you need more time. So you learn to turn towards me. You learn to seek me. I found this passage of scripture in the book of Job. And if you've never read the book of Job, I suggest you do, because this guy goes through hell. He goes through a wooden experience that I don't wish on anybody. He loses everything. I mean everything. He loses all his wealth. He loses all his children. Even his wife turns to him and says, Job, just curse God and die. This, God goes, this guy goes through health problems. He goes through massive concerns. He gets boils where he is... You, you know you got bad boils, right? When you're taking clay pots and you are scraping your legs. And this is what he says. In Job 23, if, you wanna, if you've got your Bibles, open them up. I'll wait a second. Job 23. Go to verse 8 to 10. Job 23. If you want to understand what attitude is, you read this one. Job 23, verse 8 to 10. He says, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backwards, but I cannot perceive him. When he acts on my left, I cannot behold him. He turns on the right, and I cannot see him. But he knows the way I take. And when he has tried me, I should come forth as gold. Meaning, I go forward, I can't find him. I go backwards, I can't find him. On the left, he's working, but I can't see him. On the right, I don't know what's going on. And all I know is God knows the steps that I take. And he's trialing me. And when I come out of this trial, when I come out of this wilderness, I will be pure gold. We need to understand our seasons. God, not, God is not trying to hurt you. He's not trying to punish you. It's preparation. God never leaves you nor forsakes you. And it's our sensitivity to his presence that is the discerning factor. There are two levels of God's presence. Two. God is omnipresent, meaning God is everywhere. That is the first level of presence. He is everywhere. He's right there, right there, right there, right there, right there. And the two, number two, is manifested presence. 
This is what we feel. This is our goosebumps. This is our sensory. And sometimes when we allow things to take over us or to be bigger than what they are, we lose that sensitivity to his presence. It's not that he's not there. It's not that he's not with me. I just can't feel him. And I say this to people who don't rely on your feelings when it comes to relationships. Because your feelings will go up and down. They will change left and right depending on your mood. We question the season. We grumble and we complain when we're in the wilderness, when we're, when we're struggling. We murmur. We murmur about what he's doing in our lives. We complain, what are you doing, God? Get me out of this. Get me my answer. Save me. Save me. But it's one of the sins that have kept us out of the promised land. When we complain, we question God himself. It's a sign of lack of trust, of lack of faith. I know better. The wilderness is a season of realignment. It's coming back to the assignment. It's getting our attitudes right, our mindsets right. God is preparing you for a greater flow of the level of power that he wants through you. It's preparation for the promise. God hasn't forgotten you. God is a God of reconciliation. God reconciles firstly us to him through Jesus. Than us to the promise. And we don't understand the depth of his promise and what it takes to obtain it as well as maintain it. God doesn't want to give you something that you will lose in a week's time. That is not God. He wants to give you something that will last forever. Down your whole lineage. Because that is what God is. God is the God of Abraham. Isaac and Jacob. He's not the God of me. He's the God of me, my children, my children's children, my children's children's children, etc., etc., etc. In the 70s and 80s, it was like a thimble full of the power of God. But God is looking to pour out without measure upon his people and through his people. But he will not share his glory with us. He's looking for people who have been prepared in the wilderness that can touch it without holding it. Touch it so it flows through us, but not hold it so we take it for ourselves. And the greatest attack in your wilderness will come at the end. That's how you know you're coming to the end. David who would be known as King David, spent 12 years in the wilderness. So don't complain about a year. Remember, Moses had 40 years in the wilderness, right? David spent 12 years in the wilderness running from Saul. He had someone literally, literally trying to kill him. He would walk into the throne room where he was invited and Saul would throw spears at him. But it was preparation for the throne. Saul never had a wilderness experience. You know that? We never read of Saul being in the wilderness. When we first meet him, he's looking for a donkey. When he's first introduced to the people, he's hiding with the bags. And it's this false sense of humility. But after his first victory as king, 
He builds a statue to himself, a monument. There is a difference between God's chosen people, between heart and gifting, between anointing and talent. And at the end of David's wilderness experience, we find him at Ziglag. He loses everything. His men are ready to turn on him. This is the 400 mighty men. They're ready to turn on him. He's lost his wives, his children, his wealth, his tent, his everything. They have been raided. But he has been prepared because the Bible says that he turns to God. What shall I do? This is a pivotal point for David because 10 days later, from that point, he is crowned king in Judah. His promise has been fulfilled of when Samuel anointed him in front of his whole family as the next king of Israel. Twelve years between that day and that day. And even during his wilderness experience, he was tested. Are you going to do the right things? When he had Saul in the cave at, at knife point, and his friend or his mate said, Take him. He says, I can't touch the Lord's anointed. Doesn't matter if he's wicked or not, I can't touch the Lord's anointed. Preparing his heart. Because David would be king of all of Israel. Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness preparing to lead. You need to understand there's two levels of promotion. There's man-made and there's God-appointed. The things that you can do in your own skills and your ability is, is good. It's crazy. And many people do it. But there is a difference between God moving and working and appointing you. There is a difference between when God promotes you into position and everyone goes, where did he come from? God needs to prepare us in the wilderness. And he knows what's best for you. He knows what you need to fulfill the purpose. He knows what's coming. He knows what he needs to do, what he needs to remove. And everything that we have that is connected to the world needs to go. We need to walk in humility. Not, not false humility, true humility. We need to walk in the understanding that God is God. We need to have faith, a greater level of faith. We need so many different things that we gain through the wilderness experiences. And just when you go through one wilderness experience and you've got a promotion, guess what? There's another one coming because God is not finished with you. God wants to move you to a new level, a new level, which we talked about last week, going up the stairs, seeing the fullness of God move through your life. It's those stairs that we walk through that each one of them, there has to be a wilderness experience because God needs to do a new work in you so you can take the next step. This is why the Bible talks about that you need to seek God because every dream and vision that you've had has to be exceedingly abundantly greater than what you can even imagine that you can accomplish in yourself because that is what God wants to do. God wants to take somebody who doesn't believe in themselves, take them through a wilderness experience and take them to a promised land. That's who King David was. He was the youngest brother. They called him Ruddy. And when Solomon, Solomon, Samson, not Samson, I'll do it a third time, Samuel, came to anoint the next king and he came to David's household, all his brothers were lined up. 
David's in the field with the sheep because they don't want him here because they don't even think that he's good enough. And what happens? No, you're not it. No, you're not it. No, you're not it. Right through all these brothers. And he comes to the end and goes, is there another one? I know I'm in the right house, but is there another brother? And they say, yeah, there's one. He's in the backfield. He's looking after the sheep. Go get him. We'll wait. And when he comes, he is anointed as king of Israel. But there's a process between when you get the glimpse, when you get the vision, when you get the understanding of what's taking place, to actually stepping into it. And the difference is attitude. The difference is allowing God to work in us. The difference is removing the things that need to go. The difference is seeking God and say, hey, that's got to go. That's got to go. I'm sensitive to the Spirit. The Spirit brings up something, I release it. I let go of it. I move on to the next thing. Because when you're ready, not when you think you're ready, but when God knows you're ready, God will promote And the only reason why we may not receive our promotion isn't because God's a liar. It's because we haven't sought him enough. It's because we haven't dealt with our Egypt. It's because we have found a whole bunch of other stuff that we are more likely to hold on to. We like our complaining. We like our sins. They're comfortable. And I know, I know, I know, I know. Like this is... I. When I talk to other pastors, they see it all the same thing. There is, there is greatness coming. There is phenomenal things that are coming. And I'm not, I'm not blowing up some chain. I'm not saying, oh, yeah, we, we say this every year to encourage you to keep going. No, I know. I know that God is going to bring. You can call it whatever you want. Right? Some people call it revival, move of God. It's just God. God's just going to go boom. And he's looking, looking, seeking, searching out for those who can contain it like a vessel. Not contain it for yourself, but contain it for his purposes. And he's looking for people with the right heart and the right minds who can do what needs to be done. That's what he's looking for. He's not looking for perfection because he already is. He's just looking for the right heart. And he's just looking for people who are willing. That's it. The people who will go through the junk. Go through their wilderness and deal with the junk in their trunk. That's it. But the greatest move of God is going to happen soon. The greatest move of God. I'm telling you, the greatest move of God is going to happen real soon. I was joking this week. I was talking to God. As I was writing this message and I pray. and you know, One of my frustrations is we don't have a building. And every time I look at a prospect of having our own building, even stepping out in the boldest level of faith that I can imagine, the door gets shut. And I was joking around with God this week, and I said, God, is one of the reasons why we don't have a building is because nothing will contain what you want to do in this place? Silence. It's almost like he sat there and giggled to himself. So that's what I hold to. That won't stop me looking because I'll keep walking, I'll keep acting on my level of faith and keep increasing it. But I truly believe that what we will see coming soon, what will come soon, will be the greatest move of God that we have ever heard of or seen.
And what stopped the moves of God in the past wasn't because God wanted to stop, because people's hearts weren't right. We took it for ourselves. We touched the glory. And you can't. You can't touch the glory. It's His. So my prayer is, God, fix this. Do what you need to do, God. Let me, let me be prepared for the promotion. Let me, let me get ready, God. Let's deal with the, the junk in my trunk. What's, what's my junk this week? What's my junk today, God? I need the Holy Spirit to move in me. I need the Holy Spirit to empower me. I need the Holy Spirit to clean me out. I need Him. I need His Word. I need His presence. I need both His omnipresent and His manifested presence. I want to see what I've read happen. I want to see the moves of God. Because what we have gone through in our life cannot be it. And I know, I know I've read. I've read the good book. I've read the book so many times. I know what he can do. And we need it. We need it in this world. We need it. For the lost, we need it for ourselves. We need it for every human being that walks on this planet. We need to see the greatest move of God that has ever taken place. But we also need God to move in our hearts and our minds and to deal with our wilderness seasons. Don't get disheartened. If it's dry, God's preparing. Remember, God is the water. God is the rain. God is the refreshing spring. And oftentimes what I've found is I, just, I need to come back to that place of just re-surrendering. And the more I re-surrender, the more room it makes for Him to work. But today, If you want God to continually work in you, if you want God to move in your life, if you want God to bring you through your wilderness, then what I encourage, because I'm going to pray, is you can stand where you're at. If you want God to move, if you need Him to move, because I'm standing, because I need Him to move me through my wilderness experience, to deal with everything that we need to deal with, because I don't want it to be delayed any longer. I want it to be as quick as it needs to be. I can't shorten it but I don't want it lengthened. If you want to stand with me, if you want to come into that place where we, we can come in agreement, we can encourage God and, and ask Him just to move in our hearts, move in our lives, and say, God, do what you need to do so I don't have to stay here any longer than I need to. We're going to pray. We'll close the meeting. If you want to stay in the room and the music team likes to to jam a little bit. But if you want prayer directly, then I'll be down the front. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're far from Him, it's a foreign concept, then I invite you to come in and get to know Him. I'll be down the front. 
But if every person is standing up or the people that are standing up, acknowledging that they need God to move, because I need God to move. I need Him to help me through my wilderness experience. I need Him to move and to deal with every scrap of junk in my life. So I can step into that level of emotion. My heart is right. My mind is right. I am an empty vessel. Father God. Oh, mighty, mighty, mighty God. Father, do what you need to do. These are your people. Move in their hearts. Move in their minds. Move them through their wilderness experiences. Promote them at the right time. So they would not be delayed any longer than it has to be. Father, do a good work in them. Do a good work in them. Remind us, Holy Spirit, when we step into those things that we're not supposed to step in. Convict us. Convict our spirits that we would see the fullness of who you are in our lives and through us. Oh God, Holy Spirit, have your way. Have your way on every person here standing. Bless them, Father. Bless them, Father. Bless them, Father. And for anyone who hasn't seen a glimpse, Father, bless them with glimpses. Bless them with visions. Bless them with promises. Strengthen them during the process so we can all be promoted. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.